0: You know, I'm thinking that uh, Nancy's probably very happy that I shaved my beard because with Tim and now Noah, and if I had a beard, there'd be tremendous pressure for Dale to, uh, to grow a big bushy beard as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you... Uh, rejoiced with great delight uh, in the report that, um, that you received from the 72 when they uh, came back from their missionary journey. And Lord, I ask that uh, you would help us to delight in you uh, as well this morning. We ask that your word would pierce our heart and our soul. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Now this is a sermon that, uh, frankly, I, I, I wonder how it will go over. Um, because this sermon, I'm seeking to address the issue of relativism that has so asha- unashamedly broken, in, broken out into the open in recent days. Uh, Relativism is defined in the dictionary as the belief that knowledge, truth, and morality uh, exist only in relation to culture or in relation to society or in relation to historical context. What is considered knowledge or truth or or morality uh, changes, therefore, according to relativism, from culture to culture or from one generation to another. In other words, there are no absolutes, according to uh, relativism. And this is not a new claim, um, but I'm noticing something with a little bit more clarity than uh, I had previously noticed. I'm noticing that more people are willing to openly say that knowledge and truth and morality exist uh, only in relation to culture or in relation to historical context, and even more pointedly, only in relation from one person to another. In other words, each person has their own tree, truth or morality. And people are saying this more openly. Uh, and no one's allowed to challenge them because that is their truth. Maybe it's been like this for quite some time and I haven't been paying as close attention as I should have. But as I've been paying attention recently, it is quite disturbing. I know relativism has been taught in secular academia for uh, decades, and it's been woven into the practice of American culture for some time now. But it seems to me that there has always been an an embarrassment attached to relativism. Uh, Secular secular uh, academia has always given fancy names to relativism to conceal the outright belief that there is no real truth or knowledge according to their uh, system of teaching. As recently as a couple of years ago, um, if you were able to demonstrate to a person that they were trying to live their lives without any attachment to the truth Uh, and you were able to really demonstrate that to them, it would give them pause. Uh, Lately, however, there's an unconcealed willingness on the part of many to acknowledge that they're relativist, and that's the truth. And even though they would say that there is no truth. um, So I feel a need to address this brazen relativism because we need to be reminded that God is the creator of all knowledge, that God has created the world and humanity with the ability to receive and interpret and comprehend facts, that God has created a body of truth that has governed humanity and the universe from the moment that God created the world. One of the things that has set me off, frankly, um, is that I saw someone asserting that 2 plus 2 equals 4 was a racist statement because it was generated by Western culture. And and that just is is a downright silly statement on many levels. I don't even know how to answer uh, a statement like that except with rebuke. And, of course, there's also uh, morality in the world because God created right and wrong as a reflection of His own morally pure nature. So, uh, as believers, as Christians, we should reject relativism. The world has told the church to go sit in a corner, away from the rest of society, because we do not base our assertions and our truth claims on science. Faith, we are told, has no place in the discussion of ideas and practical morality. For the most part, sadly, the church has dutifully sat in the corner and sulked. Now, there have been those champions for truth who have charged into the fray, but most of them have been destroyed or ignored. So, it has been on my mind, what is the church to do in the face of this brazen relativism? How should the larger Christian church respond? How should Westminster Presbyterian Church respond? Knowledge and truth and and morality are not relative. All truth is God's truth. It is the world that is stealing truth from God simply to function from day to day. The church cannot give up the concepts of knowledge, of truth, and of morality. So then, how are we to respond? I feel it's unfair to to call us to respond to relativism as we are already living in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic or epidemic, uh, as we are nightly watching mobs attack the police, as we are preparing for a divisive election season, you know, how many more calamities can we endure at once? I know that God was not trying to answer these particular questions in Luke 10, verses 21 through 24. But I'm finding answers to these questions that I'm raising here in our passage. And I think the answers that I'm seeing are legitimate answers. So, how are we to respond to relativism? Well, first of all, I I believe we are to respond... Um, by rejoicing in the progress of the gospel. You will remember, uh, going back uh, to verse 17, that uh, there there was a mood of joy among Jesus and the disciples. Look at verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And, of course, Jesus responded, verse 18, He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. There is exaltation and there is joy in in the camp of disciples as the 72 have returned from their short-term missions trip. There's great rejoicing. Uh, as they recounted uh, with happiness all the people who responded to the preaching of the kingdom of God, as um, they told of how even demons had submitted to them in Jesus' name. And there was so much success, so much joy that Jesus had to remind them Don't find all your joy in your success alone. Rather, ground your your joy in the fact that you belong to God. Verse 20. Nonetheless, Jesus said, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus says this in verse 20. But he's not being a killjoy, just the opposite. He joined... Um, he joined in their joy. Look at verse 21, first verse of um, of our passage. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. In that same hour, in other words, during this time of rejoicing, as the 72 are recounting with great joy the, um, the success that they had in their ministry as the gospel was going forth, Jesus was rejoicing with them. This word for rejoice is actually, for those of you who uh, know a little Greek, it's not the word you would expect you know, the word you would expect would be Cairo. You know, I rejoice or I have joy. When Paul tells us to rejoice, I say again rejoice. It's the word Cairo. But here in, this, in, in verse 21, it is an entirely different word altogether. It's the word um, agai or ag- Sorry, I'm leaving out the L's. Agai-la-i-o. So a different word altogether. Philip Riken translates it uh, exuberant ecstasy. I think we should translate it thrilled with joy. Jesus is thrilled with joy in the Holy Spirit. So what is he so happy about? Well, Jesus is thrilled with joy at the salvation of, of, of souls. The 72 disciples preach the kingdom of God. And they cast out many demons in Jesus' name. And so Jesus then, in response to their report, is thrilled with joy in the Holy Spirit. It makes Jesus happy in his soul to see people come to receive him as their Savior. When we see see our society uh, groping after senseless relativism, Uh, is discouraging. Instead of making any progress uh, for the gospel, it seems as if uh, the church uh, and the gospel in general here in America is going in full reverse. We were talking about this last night. Um, Instead of making any progress for the gospel, it seems as if the world is encroaching on the church faster and faster. So then, what are the future prospects for Christianity? What does the future hold for Westminster Presbyterian Church in the face of wholesale unbelief? It makes Jesus' soul happy to see people come to receive Him as their Savior. And that's where we place our hope in the face of such uh, wholesale unbelief. Despite the unbelief, despite the opposition, despite the indifference to the things of God, despite the unashamed relativism, it makes Jesus happy in his soul to see people come to receive him as their Savior. As followers of Jesus Christ then, what causes Him to rejoice must be our cause for rejoicing as well. We too must rejoice in the progress of the gospel and see the gospel prosper. Even when it's not prospering. To know that Jesus loves people coming to receive Him as Savior that it makes his soul happy, should keep us pressing forward even into the strong headwinds of a culture that is rejecting him completely and rejecting all truth and is rather choosing um, anarchy and relativism over the clear and beautiful word of God. We cannot ignore evangelism, in other words, on the one hand, and complain about the rise of relativism on the other. The only way to attack this relativism is head on with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We may feel like Don Quixote, you know, charging the windmills uh, at times. But Jesus loves the gospel. He loves that people come to know Him. All the angels rejoice when one sinner turns from their sin and turns to Christ. How can we sit on our hands as the church? Now, continuing to answer this question, how are we to respond to the relativism in our culture, I think it's helpful to remember that God is sovereign. In salvation, we should never despair that the world is going crazy and running away from God. The world might be running away from God, but it is only because God has not revealed Himself in saving grace to the world. In fact, God is hiding His grace from them. We should not be surprised that the world is running after relativism. They can't find the truth because God has hidden Himself and His salvation from them. Am I overstepping the bounds of Scripture? Well, listen to Jesus as He continues in verse 21. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father. For such was your gracious will. The wise and understanding people in our nation who are so confidently spouting relativism are fools in God's sight. They are helpless and hopeless when it comes to obtaining eternal salvation. If God never reveals Himself to them in His mercy... If God never reveals Himself to them in His salvation, they will die in their sins and they will go into eternity condemned to hell. I remember I had the privilege of going on a, uh, an evangelism explosion call with uh, Dr. D. James Kennedy. And he had gone over the gospel with this one young man. And this young man was a Ph.D. candidate in philosophy. And he had all his, his objections that he would bring to Dr. Kennedy. And Dr. Kennedy was quite impressive. He would uh, knock away these objections uh, with gospel-centered answers. And finally, Dr. Kennedy said, you know, the reason why you do not believe the gospel is because God has not called you to Himself. If He calls you, you will come. He hasn't called you. Maybe He will never call you. Maybe you are not elected by God. Maybe His favor does not rest upon you and never will, and you will die and go into eternity without God. It humbled this young man uh, right down to the core of his being. Dr. Kennedy left and went into the other room at this point, and I was able to have this conversation with this young man. Um, Far from discouraging him to, uh, to come to Christ, it humbled him, it made him like a little infant, so to speak, where he was then open to listen and hear the gospel. We are utterly dependent upon God for salvation. That's why God refers to us as little children here in this passage. Again, verse 21. He's hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. This word little children um, is the word um, napios. Uh, for it's the word for infant, not on, as we might think for um, for a young child, but but it's the word for infant. Infants are helpless. When we became Christians, it was only because God graciously revealed Himself to us. Salvation, God's salvation, is all of grace. Because we depend upon God to elect us, to redeem us, to regenerate us, to keep us, and to resurrect us, to resurrect our bodies from the, de- the grave, we are utterly, totally dependent upon God for our salvation. We are responsible to believe and follow Christ. But our faith and our obedience is a gift of God's work within us. Um, the infant... Uh, Jesus uses the, the, um, the metaphor of an infant um, because an infant is open to receiving God's truth because they're humble and teachable. Do you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you do, it was only because you received Him in weakness and in humility. You received His Word, not as the Word of men, but as the Word of God, as Paul says uh, to the Thessalonians in Thessalo- first Thessalonians 1. Do you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, even though it may be considered, even though it may cause you to be considered uh, culturally offensive or socially weak? You can only receive God's salvation if you come to Him as an infant, utterly dependent upon Him. I want to... Um, oh, so, first of all, we are to rejoice in the progress of the gospel. Secondly, we are to remember that God is, so, is sovereign in our salvation. And now, thirdly, we are to recognize that revelation comes from the triune God. Verse 22, Jesus is continuing to rejoice and He's rejoicing as I, in the sovereign will of God. But His rejoicing is extended uh, beyond just the Father, but He includes Himself as well. He's rejoicing in the unified will of the Father and the Son. All things have been given to the Son by the Father. For The Son, then, to carry out the Father's will. Jesus spoke of this uh, at length in John 6, verses 37 through 40. He said, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him should have. Have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. To those that the Father has chosen to hide himself, Jesus also hides himself. To those whom the Father has elected and chosen from eternity past, Jesus chooses to reveal himself to them. Verse 22 All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Verse 22 is saying that Jesus is the Lord. He is the Lord over salvation. Now let's apply that or extend that thought out to uh, relativism. Apply it to relativism. God is the Lord over knowledge. He's the Lord over truth. He is the Lord over morality. There is no foundation for truth without God. There is no unifying knowledge without God. There is no justice or morality without God. It is not surprising that every secular worldview will collapse into relativism when God is rejected. I want to bring this sermon to a close and I want to make a few applications. First of all, because all truth is God's truth, life does not work for a relativist. To be a relativist, you must steal uh, a truth system from God in order to function. You know, if if there is no truth, apply that to traffic laws. How long will you live if you decide you're going to um, drive down the wrong side of the the road? You know, apply it to the family if there are no um, no no order in the family. How can a family function? Apply it to society if there are every person has their own version of the truth. And no one can impinge upon their, their version of the truth. What's going to happen to society is going to break apart at the seams. It doesn't work. Even the most thoroughgoing relativist has to steal truth from God in order for them to function. Conversely, life works better when following God's revealed truth in His Word. And when one trusts in the embodiment of God's truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. Holiness brings happiness. Following God's word brings order. And it brings joy. And it brings happiness. As His word points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And tells us how we are intended to live. Secondly... Knowledge, truth, and morality are real concepts. Just because the world questions these concepts does not mean that they are any less true. Just because most people reject God and reject His truth, reject His Son, it does not mean that knowledge and truth and morality or God's Son cease to exist as if God's truth is up for democratic vote, uh, majority rule. God's Word is true, even if someone doesn't believe it. Truth is true. All God's threatenings are true. God's promises are true. When God says drunkards will not enter into the kingdom of God, when God says fornicators will not enter into the kingdom of God, when God says lukewarm believers will not enter into the kingdom of heaven, it is true. Even if the majority of people living in the world reject it. It is absolutely true. It is true truth because it's God's truth. These truths are in no way relative. So I want to encourage you. Because the world is always pressing in on us. The world sneezes and the church gets a cold. If the world and that kind of thinking is pressing in on you and, and making inroads in your life, reject it. Flee from it. Flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Take hold of God. Take hold of His truth. Knowing that God will take care of you and take hold of you in His grace and in His mercy. And then thirdly and lastly, relativism is unsustainable. It always collapses into authoritarianism. Uh, The government um, or some uh, higher power, uh, human higher power, always seeks to fill the void um, when when uh, relativism is tried. Uh, And when the government or any other human being tries to fill the void, they begin to seek to control what we can say or how we think or what we believe. So I want to remind you of God's truth. And I want to call you to humble yourself as an infant as you receive God's truth and trust in His Word because His Word points to our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, um, in many ways I resent having to preach this sermon um, I do not like responding to the world's initiative, but Lord, I do know that there is a time and place um, to call the world out um, in its uh, baselessness, and God, I ask that you would help us as your people to stand firm against the headwinds of relativism, against the Torrent of godlessness that is coming our way and not only to stand but Lord to march forward with your powerful gospel. Lord I pray for your people because these are such difficult times in which we are living. Help us to stand strong for Jesus knowing that he is standing strong for us. We pray in his name. Amen.